Last week we talked about the um, Greek manuscript translation, tr- transmission process, and, and hopefully you have a better understanding of what the Greek text or behind the King James versus all the other translations. So tonight we're going to pretty much talk about all the other translations and what distinguishes them from each other. <clears throat> and the first thing, we, we're going to talk about three basic areas. Um, formal equivalence versus dynamic equivalence. The use of the New Testament when you translate the Old Testament. And the uh, gender-inclusive language. Um, I think a lot of people think that I want a literal translation. That's the best translation to have. And um, <clears throat> so they want to, it's a word-for-word translation. If there's 16 words in the Greek, they want 16 words in the <coughs> English. If there's a noun in the Greek, they want a noun in the English. And so um, <clears throat> I don't know that that's necessarily the, the best translation. It's certainly useful. Um, but it comes down to a question of do you, are you faithful to the form or are you faithful to the meaning? And sometimes... There's, there's a conflict there. And uh, a dynamic equivalence translation is going to be on one end, well, not all the way to the end. I would say a paraphrase would be further to the, you know, to the whatever right or left. But um, the dynamic equivalence is going to focus on the translating the meaning, and the formal equivalence is going to try to be a, as much word for word. When Nyota was asked, what he thought about formal equivalence translations, he said, English good is, it not so is. <clears throat> <laughs> um, and so, you can understand Yoda, but he's sometimes hard to understand, and I think that sometimes a formal equivalence translation is harder to understand than the dynamic. So, the dynamic is going to give you better English. Um, it's easier to read understand, but the problem is that, you know, the translators have had to make decisions, um, and so you're kind of at the translator's mercy, maybe at the, trans, you know, it's, it's his thought theology might creep into the translation, and so if he does make the wrong decision, it's harder for you to get back to the original, okay, so there's, there's pros and cons to both. So we're going to, when we compare our translations, we're going to say this one's formal or this one's dynamic, and that's what it's talking about. The ESV preface says, the ESV is an essentially literal translation that seeks as far as possible to capture the precise wording of the original text and the personal style of each Bible writer. As such, its emphasis is on word-for-word correspondence, at the same time taking into account differences of grammar, syntax, and idiom. An idiom would be God's nostrils enlarged. God got angry. Okay. So you, you don't want a word-for-word translation. Mary was having it in the belly. That's word-for-word from the Greek. But even we'd say that she was pregnant. Okay. Um, so they, they took that into account. You know, they didn't say Mary was having it in the belly. Um, so they keep between current literary English and the original languages. Thus it seeks to be as transparent to the original text, letting the reader see as directly as possible the structure and meaning of the original. But I underline structure and meaning because 
that's often in conflict. And they're glossing over that, I think, a little bit. In contrast to ESV, some Bible versions have followed a thought-for-thought rather than a word-for-word translation philosophy, emphasizing dynamic equivalence rather than the essentially literal meaning of the original. A thought-for-thought translation is a necessity more inclined to reflect the interpretive opinions of the translator and the influences of contemporary culture. So, I, they said that very well. But does everybody understand the difference between formal and dynamic? So yeah, you could say there's a, there's a conflict there because contemporary culture is not necessarily the culture wanted to be transmitted by the text. Right, you want to go with the culture of the time of the writing. Was, not yeah. this culture. Yeah. Right. So, example, um, Philippians 2.6, the word form really means essence or nature. Okay, so the NASB and the ESV are word for word the same, and they both say, you know, although he existed in the form of God, did not require equality with things he grasped, the Net Bible, which claims to be dynamic, kept the word form. Said though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But the New Living Translation says, although he was God. Okay. I think that's a great translation. <clears throat> he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And I actually think cling to is a better translation than grasp, because grasp kind of gives me the impression that he's reaching for something, trying to get it. He already had it. So held on to or cling to might be better. The NIV says, who in very na- being in very nature God. So these have translated the meaning better than the ones that were more formal. Now, I'm guessing the Bible left form because of the wordplay between the form of God and the form of a slave. And they tried to make sure they didn't get too dynamic when there was wordplay going on. So, in this situation, they may have opted for... They put in the footnote that it means essence or nature, but but for the text itself, <clears throat> I'm, I'm just guessing at that, but I think that makes sense to me. I don't know what these guys were thinking. The International Standard Version. In God's own form existed he and shared with God equality, he nothing needing grasping. Instead, poured out in emptiness, the servant's form did he possess, a mortal man becoming. In human form he chose to be and lived in all humility, death on a cross obeying. The frustrated poet. (laughs) (laughs) Were they reaching for poetry? I can't make rhyme release nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's not the Dr. Seuss version. I mean, that's there's some talented. There's a lot of talent there, you know, for person. But we are a long way from the text with that. Misguided talent. Yes. Not on my list of recommended translations. Dynamic. Another example of dynamic versus formal. In Hebrew, there's a thing called parallelism, and they say things twice, and they the second one just echoes the first one, and um, they don't necessarily keep the, you know, repeat all words like the verb. And so if you were to read NIV, Numeric Standard, ESV, they all say a friend loves at all times and the brother is born for adversity. 
I had someone once was taught teaching from that. So this is a little confusing. It looks like the brother might be a problem. Well, it's, it's Hebrew parallelism. So the New Living Translation supplies you the word help to make it clear. Okay, They haven't changed the meaning. They just made it a little more obvious that it's the brother who's being helpful. And that Bible says, well, you know what? It's probably sisters are probably helpful too. So they put relative. Okay. And we'll talk about gender inclusive in a minute. But there's an example of what we would term gender accurate because we are sure that it's not just brothers who are helpful. Okay. But lest you think that um, a formal equivalent translation is going to keep you from being subject to the translator's theology. Okay, here's a passage where, well, I don't know how many of you know grammar, but if you are, you know, look at Greek, you've got a genitive. That's the of son of God. Okay, well, that genitive can be tr- interpreted 33 different ways. And so you have to decide, is this a subjective genitive, a objective genitive, a, a appositional genitive? Okay, so you still have to make decisions. <clears throat> and so here we have basically the, the same verse, but the issue is just how we translated the genitive. And so the Net Bible says, we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, where down here in the ESV, the New American Standard, everybody else says that we, are not, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a long footnote with explanations, but research showed that when the word faith was used with a person, that it was always subjective. Okay, That doesn't take away the fact that we're saved by faith, because we have come to believe in Christ Jesus is still in the passage. But I'm just showing you that, you know, even though you... This is not a dynamic versus formal thing. This is just, you know, how do you translate um, the genitive or Here's another one. Um, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? The ESV changes that. What does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, comma, the earth? The first one probably reflects the theology that Jesus entered, went to hell for, and preached to the prison, spirits in prison you know, while he was in the, in the tomb. Or it could refer to the grave, the lower parts of the earth might be under the ground. But this one right here is saying it's just referring to the incarnation. He came into the lower regions namely the earth. Okay. So those are you know, that's not dynamic versus formal. You know, we're just talking about you know, within all the literal translations, formal translations, these kind of decisions have to be made. Now the net says the same as the ESV, but then it gives you a footnote that's that long explaining, you know, the traditional view understands it as a reference to the underworld. The second, a second option is to translate the phrase of the earth as a genitive of apposition to the lower parts, namely the earth, as in the present translation. And then it goes on and talks about the third option. So, so you, 
what I want to dispel is this idea that if I have a literal translation, I'm immune from the translator's theology, and you and you are not. Okay. So, before we get to the next topic, um, any thoughts or questions about dynamic versus formal? Well, you may not be uh, totally immune, but you may not go as far as those interpreting the text correct as 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 under the cover of dynamic yes i think you're right um, yeah it, it definitely is you there is there is more a problem with dynamic the next topic is um, the use of the new testament to translate the old testament a very important concept for under, this is from the preface of the Net Bible, a very important concept for understanding the translation philosophy of the Net Bible and how these three contexts, and earlier they talked about grammatical, theological, and historical context, work together in progressive revelation. Simply put, progressive revelation recognizes that God reveals himself, his nature, as well as his word, plans, and purposes over time. He did not reveal everything about himself and what he was doing in the world all at once. Instead, he graciously revealed more and more as time went on. Later revelation serves to complement and supplement what has come before. The relation of this reality to translation work creates a great deal of tension, especially as it relates to the theological context, because certain earlier passages are clarified by later ones. Does the translator translate the older passages with a view to the clarification that the later passage brings? Or does the translator concentrate solely on the native context of the older passage? <clears throat> Robert correctly recognized that we don't want to take 21st century American context to translate any of that into our translation. Do you want to take 60 AD context and use that to translate something that was written a thousand years earlier? Okay. That's, that's what's going on, okay? So, um, this progress of revelation says that Abraham did not know as much as Isaiah, and Isaiah did not know as much as Matthew. So, if you're going to go back and translate Isaiah 7, 14, the question is, do you use the word young woman? Or do you use the word virgin? Well, Matthew says, quoting Isaiah, he says that a virgin will be with child and you call his name Emmanuel. Okay. You take the miracle out if you take virgin out. Well, you don't take the miracle out if you take virgin out of Isaiah. The question is, did Isaiah... Isaiah's talking to Ahaz. And he says, Ahaz, before that young woman's child is old enough to know the difference between good and evil, your two enemies will be destroyed. Now, is he thinking that she's a virgin? You know, she could be six months pregnant, and it's obvious that she's going to have a child. We don't really know what's going on in Isaiah. But the idea of a virgin birth was probably not what Isaiah wrote and what the people who read Isaiah thought, because if they had, then I think every good Jew would have been looking for a virgin-born Messiah. And I don't think we see anything written, you know, intertestamental or any of that kind of stuff talking about virgin birth that being a requirement of the Messiah 
I think what Matthew's really thinking about is, you know, Isaiah said Emmanuel will be his name. That means God with us. We really do have God with us in Jesus. But if the miracle was not in view, why bother emphasizing that what she conceived was conceived of the Holy Spirit? You mean the lady standing there in Isaiah's context? No, 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 in the New Testament. Oh, well, we're not denying that at all. Matthew tells us that it was the Holy Spirit that conceived, you know, Jesus. And so we're not denying the virgin birth. All we're doing is we're thinking, when I translate Isaiah... Okay. What did Isaiah think? What did Isaiah know? In the progress of Revelation, did Isaiah picture a virgin birth? Okay. Or is, or is Matthew looking back and saying, you know, Rachel crying in the wilderness, that's a type of, you know, this. Or, you know, he quotes several different passages. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them is clear. This would be the one clear passage in Matthew when you think about it. If virgin was really the you know, the idea there. So we're not taking anything away from the virgin birth. We're just asking, what did Isaiah know? What was going on in the context? And how, what's the best way to translate this? Okay? But but your concern is a very common concern. I think a lot of evangelicals look at that and go, oh, it's liberal. It's a liberal Bible. They're trying to deny the virgin birth. They're not. Or they would have taken it out of Matthew too. Right? They're just saying, no, that's not what Isaiah is talking about. Matthew sees that as a type of Christ. He sees the correlation. He sees that as a prophecy, and he's correct, but it wasn't that clear of a prophecy to include the virgin birth. So that's where I'm, this is what I'm talking about. Was, do I use my New Testament knowledge when I translate my Old Testament? Another example is Genesis 12.3. ESV says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Holy Christian Standard says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That Bible says, I will bless those who bless you. But the one who treats you lightly, I must curse. And all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. Okay? Notice the RSV. And, you, and by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. This is quoted in Romans somewhere, I think. And in that Romans passage, it says, talking about, through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. Okay? And so, that promise of God is seen um, as, you know, everybody's blessed through Jesus because they're saying, you know, salvation comes through him, a descendant of Abraham. But if you go back and you're doing your Hebrew grammar, there's four places where this occurs. And I may have this backwards. There's hifil stems and pl stems. And if you have this with the hifil, it's reflexive. Bless one another or bless themselves. If it's with the pl, it's passive. They will be blessed through you. I think the first two times this is used, it's hifil and reflexive, and then the second two, it's passive, blessed through. So, do we translate all four of them? They will bless one another in your, you know, in your name. Or, or do we translate all four of them? They will be blessed through you. You know, if we did not know our New Testament Pauline theology, when we go back and translate this, you know, 
do we let that affect it? And so, in this situation, we used all the, all the families on earth will bless one another by your name. Interestingly enough, both the Holman Christian and the ESV in the footnote say, or, let me put this. So they recognize that that is another option. They just didn't want to change it because it's messing with people's preaching. Okay. And I have to say, the Net Bible is never afraid of messing with your preaching. <laughs> Joe told the story of uh, Zondervan. Somebody gave him a list of 200 verses you dare not change when you're doing a Bible translation. And he lost the list. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we messed with at least half. <clears throat> that's, one, that's a philosophy of translation. Do we use our New Testament theology and knowledge to translate Old Testament passages? I don't think we should. We don't lose anything doctrine-wise or theology-wise. We just recognize that maybe it wasn't that clear when God told Adam and Eve something or Abraham something. You know, we'd look back and say, oh, that's Jesus on the road to Emmaus was probably pointing to all those passages and say, I bet you didn't know that was talking about me. Okay? Because they didn't know that until he explained it to them and they wrote it down in I agree with you because Revelation is progressive. Why do we want to unprogressive and put the New Testament into the Old? Yeah. So do you want a translation that helps you recognize the progress of let, that you see it unfold? That would be my question. Or do you want one that kind of makes those things line up better? So it's more obvious that they were talking. So that's another thing to think about when you're thinking, which is the best translation? And another point. What? In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit took pains to clarify what the Lord wanted clarified in the New Testament mm -hmm. from the Old. Yes. Yes. Do we, you know, do we see the Trinity in the Old Testament? You know, there's, there's, there's a progress of revelation that, that I think it's interesting to leave it a little bit more apparent. But it's a very controversial issue, and if you come out with an RSV in 1952 and you take Virgin out, there is no evangelical who's going to buy your Bible. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> okay, the next one is gender-inclusive. It's important to distinguish two approaches to gender inclusivity in the history of the Bible's translation into English. The first approach we might call ideological gender inclusivity, since it attempts on an ideological basis to remove objectionable elements like patriarchalism, I don't know if that's a word, or even male metaphors for God himself. No such radical approach has been followed with the Net Bible. The other approach could be called gender-accurate translation, which simply means translating terms without respect to gender when the intended meaning or application is broad and not gender-specific. So when the hailstones fell on the sons of men, in Revelation, did it only hit men? Did they only hit men? No. So would it be okay to translate the, the hailstones fell on the sun fell on people? Yeah. See, so I would say that's a gender accurate thing. 
Do only brothers help in time of trouble? No. So can we say a relative helps? You know, I think that's a, a legitimate change. It's just that the Bible was written with uh, where the word man stood for man and women, you know. And we were that way in English up until the last few years. Um, when the T and IV was, well, the NRSV came out, and they had the ideological approach. They wanted to uh, get rid of all the he's and the him's and, and to please the feminist. And then the Zondervan became, announced the TNIV, today's NIV. And um, when it first was announced, and copies of that um, were released, in initial copies, um, Wayne Grudem, who uh, I guess is part of or head of the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And so his one of his jobs is to defend the complementarian position that says um, women don't can't do everything in the church. They're not supposed to teach. Okay. Um, and the whole hierarchy thing that, that uh, Tom taught, taught on last week, actually. So he wrote an article and gave several examples. So I'm going to just use his examples in his comments. Hebrews 2.6 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? What are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So we've changed man to, to mortals in one place and human beings in another. Now, this son of man imagery is something that you lose that Jesus is called the son of man when you change that. Remember, we talked about that we didn't change the word form, perhaps, because we were thinking about the way the word is used elsewhere in, in a close... And so, I think earlier on, um, that phrase is used and that's lost. It also introduces the idea of mortals. And man was not created as a mortal. And we really aren't mortal. We have eternal life. It's just where you're going to live. And so they've kind of introduced new concepts into that verse. Um that doesn't belong. Um, it says in 12.7, Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? The new one says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their parents? Okay. So we, I think we're losing the God as a father imagery when we start changing it to parents. Okay. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The T and I be changed it, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And so he says this is losing the uh, idea of individual fellowship with Jesus. If anyone opens the door, he'll come in and have fellowship with the whole church. Because he's talking to the church at Laodicea. <clears throat> he said, we should note that in order to avoid he, used in a generic sense as, in, as it is in this verse, the T and IV has to change hundreds of verses in similar ways, and the cumulative effect is a significant loss 
of the Bible's emphasis on individual responsibility and individual relationship with God. I do not have an exact count for the TNIV, but the NRSV um, had to eliminate about 3,400 uses of he in order to rid itself of such masculine generic statements. Acts 20.30, even from your own number, he's talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And they changed it to, even from your own number, some will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away the disciples after them. So, if it's not talking about men, then that would open the door to women elders. Okay? And he doesn't use the word anthropos, which is a generic word for man, meaning person. He uses on air, which is specifically males. Okay? So some, it's quite often okay to change anthropos to people. But it's not okay to change on air to people. <clears throat> so... Um, those are just some examples. That that's kind of the issue with the the, the gender inclusive thing. You know, I think it's a good thing sometimes to make it gen- generic, but there's quite a few places where you really are changing the meaning from in, from singular to plural. Um, I mean, sometimes you're losing word pictures that are going on. God is a father, not a parent. I took that same verse and we looked at it. This would be a, maybe an example of dynamic versus literal. If you read those, which one do you think is the easiest one to read? Yeah, the net is easiest. I think the net is. I think the NLT is really easy too. But these are these are disjointed. Okay, it's the literal ones. And so that's a difference of formal versus dynamic. So. <clears throat> Any thoughts or questions about? Um, Those three, those three philosophies that you take into account, concerns. I think what bugs me about the gender thing is what what's really behind it. Would, would this have been an issue a hundred years ago, or is this just a feminist-driven? It is. It is a feminist-driven thing. They're trying to to pacify whatever the word is, the feminist agenda, and so. I think it's wrong to be accused of being in a liberal translation for not using the New Testament to translate the Old. So I think the RSV was falsely accused. I do think it's liberal to translate all the gender stuff to satisfy the feminist agenda. That that does change a lot. Okay. And so the NRSV kept the don't use the New Testament to translate the Old, but they added the ideological gender inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And so 
Well, the RSV was a good translation. Okay. Um, but it's you can't get to it anymore unless you buy an ESV. And ESV basically revised the old, the old. The ESV was a revision of the RSV. So let's let's talk about the specific translations themselves. King James. It's a classic, it's elegant English. I mean, it's a great Bible. Um, never led anybody astray. But that old English is difficult to understand. And, and I do think, hopefully after our discussion of Greek manuscript evidence, that you would understand why it might not be as good. It's, you've got more than the Word of God when you have the King James. Because you've got all those places that they took phrases and verses out of Luke and moved them over to Mark to make it better, easily, and more, more compatible. Okay. So, but if you like the King James, I would say a New King James would be a good option because it'd be easier to read. And I know lots of people who, who you know, use the New King James and, and love it. So, the RSV was a 1952 translation based on the. The critical text, and by that I mean not the Textus Receptus. They followed the formal equivalents, and they didn't use the New Testament to translate the Old Testament. And like I said, they were falsely accused of being liberal for that. Now, you can't get it anymore. It's been mothballed. So, um, the New American Standard came out 20 years later, and it was the evangelical alternative to the RSV. They put virgin back in to Isaiah and fix those Genesis passages. Okay? And uh, it's uh, okay, it's formal equivalence. I think it's wooden. We you know, when we sit there and read some of the verses, you you know, it's not smooth English, but it lets you get back closer to the Greek in the Greek word order. If you're gonna be diagramming sentences, then you know, that's a good translation to help you see the Point one, two, three, therefore, type of a flow. Okay, and then they updated in nineteen ninety five because of Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, some new manuscript evidence. They wanted to modernize the language a little bit, although they still have twelve hundred and something beholds. <coughs> so I don't know what they did to modernize it. The NRSV we've mentioned several times, but. Um, they modernized the RSV, but they switched to that whole gender-inclusive um, language, which is a problem. <clears throat> the New International Version came out in 73, I think updated in 83, uh, without telling anybody. <clears throat> um, dynamic, easy to read. Um, Old Testament is very good. The New Testament, though, I think they left out too many conjunctions. Clause, you know, you can't really follow the clauses as well. This smoothed it out a little bit too much, and so um, that was the the biggest problem with that. I think <clears throat> it's still the best-selling Bible. Um, but when they announced the T and IV, they caused a firestorm of uh, other the problems and other translations kind of cropped up, so they um, they decided not to 
come out with the T and a T and IV, and I just recently learned that what they really did was they just didn't change the name, but implemented all the T and IV isms into the NIV. And so, if you buy an NIV now, it's not going to be the same one you've been buying for you know the last thirty years. <clears throat> You're just going to start noticing a lot less he's in it. But so I, in one sense, I'd say you can't buy it anymore. You're going to get the new one. The New Living Translation, 1996. Um, I think it's it's it gets a bad rap because the Living Bible was its parent, and so people think it's a paraphrase, but it's not. I think they started to revise the Living Bible and realized that's not what they wanted to do, and so they they moved back towards dynamic equivalence, and they did a really good job, and it's very easy to read. I was at a convention um, several years ago, and I went to the Tyndall booth. I think Tyndall Publishers publishes that. And I had my Net Bible shirt on because I had my own booth. And I walked up and was introducing myself to the, the NLT guy. He goes, don't tell anybody, but I read the, new, the Net Bible to my kids every night. <laughs> I said, you're kidding. I read the NLT to my kids every night. Because <laughs> I really do, you know. And and it's it's just it's a, it's very nice to read in it and you know I'll tell you why I don't read the Net Bible every night. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it's the fourth best selling Bible. King James and New King James are two and three. So, so I highly recommend that one. Don Don Glenn I think worked on the NLT as part of the translation committee. He also worked on the Net Bible and he carries an NLT here at church. ESV. Okay. When that TNIV was announced, John Piper and Wayne Grudem and a bunch of other guys said, we're through with you, NIV and Zonovan. We've got to have a new translation. And so they looked around, saw the RSV wasn't being used, and said, let's take that one and spruce it up and come out with our own, our own Bible. And so really what the ESV is is an evangelical revision of the RSV. They actually were going to call it the Evangelical Standard Version when they first started the project and then decided that was a little too narrow. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I heard. So they so ended up changing it to English Standard Version. So it's formal equivalence. One reviewer I said said it's more formal than the RSV. I don't know if that's true or not. As the places that I looked, it seemed about the same. But it, can, it maintained the archaic language, and so it has 1,066 beholds, and... So it's not a modern version in that sense. Um, they've probably updated some words, but uh, they, they went back to the New Testament, to using the New Testament to translate the Old Testament. And so it's really, there's not much to distinguish it from the New American Standard because it follows all the same philosophical things. And when you read them side by side, they're very similar. The Holman Christian Standard Bible came out in 2004, and it again was a reaction to the TNIV. This was from the Baptists. And they said, we're through with you, Zonervan. We're not going to the gender-inclusive. And so they financed their own translation. And I think what really is going on in some ways is that Bibles are the best profit-making things for publishers. And so 
paying royalties to Zondervan was getting old. And so this was a good opportunity to just get our own Bible translation, not have to pay royalties, and um, actually make money selling Bibles, because books don't, we talked about before class, books don't make you much money anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, Very hard to find a, a, a publish a profitable book. And I think that's a lot of the motivation behind Crossway and the ESV. It's the same kind of thing. But I do think the Holman Christian Standard, it doesn't really fit in the dynamic camp or the literal camp, and so I'm not really sure what to do with it. Because I talked to James, who has worked on the thing for five, James Davis, worked on this for five years, and he says their goal is to be between, and I think they accomplished that goal. It's a hybrid. Yes. It seems to be more dynamic in the Old Testament and more formal in the New Testament, which might be a good match. But I will say it's a great reading Bible, and so I would recommend that one. You know, um, They've modernized it. You don't have the beholds. There were two in a footnote. Uh, that doesn't count. Who reads footnotes? And then it uses the New Testament to translate the Old Testament. And then the Net Bible, um, we were not a reaction to the TNIV. We were a reaction to the fact that there were no modern translations that would let us put a Bible on Bible.org. And so when we did ours and posted ours, the others followed suit. Now, i got to think they would have eventually, but we forced their hand early on to... Well, tell them the rest of the story, okay? What? <laughs> Joe was going to buy the NIV. Oh, Yes. Joe went to Zondervan and said, I'd like to buy the NIV. And I don't remember the price, but, you know, it's $25 million. He says, okay, write up the paperwork. So then he comes back and he said, price is 50 We changed our mind. Okay, write up the paperwork. So then he comes back and we changed our mind. It's 100 And so, okay, it's cheaper to do our own. So, Wow. So, you know, that was the original discussion um, we went with dynamic equivalence but we were well aware of the fact that the NIV left out those conjunctions and made it hard to find the relative clauses so we tried to not do that Okay. Um, we went with the gender accurate language and, and even got kudos from Wayne Grudem and company um, I think what one thing that sets us apart is we're the only translation that follows the don't use the New Testament to translate the old. Okay. Um, other than the Tanakh. They, would, they wouldn't use it, but um, other than the NRSV, but with the NRSV you get the, the gender issue. And then the probably the strength of the Net Bible is the footnotes, the translators' notes, all those places where we had to make decisions like we talked about, we explained it. And I brought one so you can uh, see how many footnotes there are. But, um, but i got to tell you, I don't want to ever read it in public. And the reason is that, you know, in Christmas time, when they asked me to read Isaiah 6, 9, 6, I have to say, and his name will be Extraordinary Strategist instead of Wonderful Counselor. Well... The reason they did that, they tell me, is because 
very well-known pastors preach about Jesus as being a wonderful counselor and all of his compassion, and they think in Dr. Phil, because counselor these days is Dr. Phil. But back then, it was military counselor, you know, military advisor. And they sat there going, I'm so sick of hearing preachers misteach from this that they changed the text. But now you can't read it in public. Um, What's another example? Oh, when was the last time you said, whoa? You ever say, whoa is me? What do you say? OMG, right? Oh my God, right? Well, in Isaiah 6, they put too bad for me. (laughs) So when I read it out loud, I just put whoa in. So... And then there are sexual relations all over the place in the Old Testament. Everywhere that the other translations put slept with, they put sexual, had sexual relations with. So you can't hardly read it to your kids. <clears throat> so it's got some good points and it's got some big problems. And all translations kind of get revised after they come out. And so it's in the process of having a lot of those things cleaned up. So. That's the reason I don't read it at night to my children. I'm reading through Luke in the, actually right now, but if I'm in the Old Testament, then I, I kind of I have to know what passage I'm going to be, you know, reading. So, so the question is, which is best? I don't think you can say which is best. I think they all have good things. You know, one idea I've heard is get yourself a good formal equivalence. New American Standard would probably be my recommendation. The ESV is virtually the same as the New American Standard, so that one would be okay too. And if you get a good dynamic equivalence, I think we only have one out there. Um, I think the net will get there, but it's not there yet. I think the NLT, the New Living Translation, is probably a good one. Yes? The NIV, when did they start publishing the new? I think that was just within the last year. Okay. So, otherwise, I would say the NIV would be a great dynamic equivalence. I found it real useful to, you know, have a Bible software program that lets me fire up five translations and just compare. Ooh, they used a subjective genitive here. They used an objective. What's going on? You know. And so, um, on my phone and my iPad, I use an olive tree Bible software because it lets me do parallel translations. And so I quite often will have the ESV and the Net Bible going side by side or something. What's the price of those? The software is free, and then you could download the King James for free, and then you can pay $10 or something for your Bible, the translation that you like. And I, I use it on my phone a lot. We have an iPhone app for the Net Bible. So that makes it easy to carry that big thing around with all the notes, and you can just click on a note. And that's free. But that only does the Net Bible. It doesn't let you do others. I usually use version on my tablet, yes. which has several versions. Yes, version has got all these things for free. So could this software let me compare no. based on that? No. No. Okay. You're pretty much stuck. I add them to this software. And, and I just despise scrolling like that when yeah. I read. I, I read too fast to keep... I flip. And all the tree... Let's me flip. Okay. And so, I, 
two reasons. Because it goes side to side okay. and because it lets me do parallel. We have a program, I don't think you can read this, but on Bible.org we have a thing called Lumina. So you can go to Lumina.bible.org and you can click on a verse and say, give me the parallel. And you get NET, NIV, Northern Standard, ESV, wow. New Living Translation, Message, Basic Bible and Basic English, New King James, New Interest. So we have nine or ten translations. So it makes it, that's free. So you can go there if you want to see how the different translations work. And so, um, you can, or you can have, you know, the Net Bible here and the ESV there and Parallel Scroll. That's Lumina. Huh? That's Lumina? Lumina is what they call it. Okay. Lumina.bible.org. Okay, so now we're going to do a little exercise here. I had all of my translations open at the same time and I just ran across this verse and I thought, oh, this looks like a good example to show the difference between maybe the dynamic equivalence and the uh, formal equivalence. So I kind of got two, the two formals at the top, the one in the middle of the road in the middle, and then the two dynamics at the bottom. So the things that stood out to me were... ESV, when he had been there a long time. NASB, it came about when he had been there a long time. Kind of old sounding. Um, NLT, but sometime later. Okay, you know, they've, they've changed that a little bit. Um, notice it says in ESV, when, Ab- when Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Abimelech, so... So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, What is it you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Okay, I don't think that it seems weird to laugh with your sister. Right. I don't know why they would put laugh, because all the other ones have caress. The King James had sporting... Okay, Bob, there's your cue. <laughs> what did we miss there? <laughs> the rose to play? Yeah. Uh, this, How about necking? <laughs> yes. That's an ET version. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the net Bible. The net Bible, you know. So. so anyway, I thought that was strange that they would put laughing. Um, in the ESV, in the New American Standard, we see behold, okay? We see archaic language like, how then could you say, okay? Um, Holman Christian, they said, how could you say? And people would, we still talk that way. But the NLT and the Net Bible said, why did you say? Okay, so, you know, there's a, maybe a little, a little smoother. Um, They behold. I think the behold there maybe gives you some sort of a element of surprise, and so Holman Christian was did a really good job with that, where they said, you know, he was surprised to see Isaac caressing his wife Rebecca. So I thought they carried that element over very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the best for that that section of the, the paragraph. Um, the other thing I thought. Because I thought, 
lest I die because of her? Um, I don't think we use lest anymore. Um, The New American Standard is worse. It says, because I said I might die on account of her. Because I said? Because I said to myself. You know, at least put the myself in there or change it to thought. The other three translations say that. Because I thought I might die. Um, Holman Christian, because I thought I might die on account of her. That's a little better. But let's get down here to the New Living Translation. Because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me. So, you know, we've, we've lost some of the literal, formal, but we've got, I think, a, a smoother, better explanation. Yes. That's what the other meant, obviously. It's just explained to you. Um, and then the Bible says, I mean, the Net Bible says, because I thought someone might kill me to get her. Okay. And, of course, when you get to the last thing, you see that we had to put sexual relations in there because it's the Net Bible. Where the New Living Translation and the Holman Christian, they said slept with your wife, right? Which is good euphemistic language. But the ESV and the Net Bible go have lain with your wife. And I don't think we talk that way anymore. Okay. So that just, nothing changes the meaning. You know, we haven't lost anything. It's just a matter of style when you compare that. And I thought... That kind of gives you an idea, you know, ESV and the New American Standard. Now, if you grew up with the King James, and you grew up with the New American Standard, and you've been reading that for 30 years or 40 years, and you're perfectly comfortable with that, and you, you know, then there's nothing wrong. Continue to use it, okay? But if you did not grow up in the church, and you pick up a ESV, you'd be going... Man, this is some rough English, okay? New American Standard, the same way. So I think Holman Christian is better, um, and then I think the NLT is the best for a modern 20-year-old to pick up a Bible and just start reading. And hopefully the Net Bible will get there one of these days. <clears throat> so, any any thoughts? Question. Um, the word flesh used by uh, King James, New King, and a few others, as opposed to NIV, uses the sin nature. Could you sort of comment briefly on what you feel would be the best way, other than those two, uh, or is one of the other of those two the best? I honestly haven't studied that topic, so I, I don't know what's best. Bob, do you have a, a thought on that? Well, my thought isn't. Uh, my thought is more concordance-wise. I've written down a couple of things about just all translations put together or, or considered together. One of them is you, you just just memorization of scripture. You know, I'm trying. You're trying to if you memorize something King James or whatever, you got all these different options floating around your head. It's it's harder to memorize scripture yes. with all these alternatives because you can't remember what the word is. If you're trying to look up. A phrase. Yes. You'd say to yourself, "Oh my, back which you know which one is it?" And so again, you, you got that messed up. Nice segue. You come up here and you type in that phrase, it will find it. So you may be remembering it in the NASB or the King James, yes. and it will find your verse for you. Okay. It searches all the translations, and you can even mix your 
a little bit of your New American Standard and a little bit of your NIV in the same phrase, and it'll still find and get you, you know, within the first two or three the list of verses over here. And so that's a very useful tool for that. Um, another thing is, and I think you were talking about searching. If I see the word flesh here and it's translated flesh, but over here it's maybe translated human body, yes. okay, you, you really can't click on human body and say, search everywhere I see the word human body, because it's not, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it with this tool would be switch to Greek, click on your human body, and you'll see the word over here highlighted, and you say, search everywhere that word's used, and then it'll list. Because what you really want to be searching on is the Greek word or the Hebrew word underneath the English. And and it's, if it says, you know, began to weep is all one word, it'll know that, and it'll sink there. So that's, that's a useful feature. Any other questions? Okay. Well, we filled up the whole hour. <clears throat> Let me pray. Father, just thank you for giving us your word for uh, um, and preserving it and through all the different translations and that the, the message, the, the theology is all there. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow it. And uh, get us home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.